20 years ago, about this time, my wife, Emily, was pregnant with our very firstborn son. She hadn't changed a bit. And we were so excited with our first child, and it felt like we had a million baby showers for him. Our family were so excited. Our friends were so excited. Our church was so excited. Now, our second-born son, Tanner, we had a shower or two for him. And our third and fourth sons, Walker and Brooks, nobody cared we were having a baby. <laughs> They're like, we bought y'all enough presents through the years and gift cards. You are on your own. If you have multiple kids, you kind of know how that is. But that first one, oh, there's just something about it. Right? There's so much anticipation, so much expectation, so much attention on mother and child, and rightly so. I mean, our lives focused on this little baby that was going to change everything in our home, in our lives, in our futures. We worked so hard on the nursery. I, I, you know, I'm like 24, 5, 6, I don't even know what, but it's the first time I ever put up chair rail. You know, put up chair rail. We painted. We just did the whole thing. We read What to Expect When You're Expecting. Anybody else read that book? You remember that one, right? We had books. We didn't have blog sites and stuff to read back then. Um, And I remember his birth like it was yesterday. I was having lunch with a friend. I remember the friend I was with, where we were at. I remember what I was wearing. And Emily was at a doctor's appointment. It was toward the end of her pregnancy. And she called me on my Nokia cell phone. Oh, yeah. And she said, uh, they're admitting me because I'm having contractions. And I mean, the world seemed to stand still. Over those next two or three days, she, you know, she had the baby later that night, actually early the next morning. And it just seemed like the entire universe revolved around our little new family there. It felt like there was nothing more important going on planet Earth than us and this new baby. And if you would have come to us at that moment, this would have been a hard pill to swallow. If you would have come to us in the hospital right there and said, oh, I know you're so excited. I know this is your first baby, and, and I know it feels like it's so important, but I just want you to know it's not about you, and it's not about your baby. And we'd have been like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. no, no, everything. About, actually, it's not about you. Even at this moment that it feels like everything is about you, and your family is making everything about you, and people working in this hospital are making everything about you. Have you ever asked yourself that question? What if? What if it's not about me? What if it's not about you? What if your purpose is not about you? What if it's not about your family, your success, your portfolio, your retirement, or your recognition? What if your life isn't actually about your life at all? Well, I'm Carter McKinnis, lead pastor here at Mountaintop, and I'm so grateful that you are here at Mountaintop today. Um, And maybe some of you have come to celebrate the baptism of a friend or family member or neighbor. If you're brand new, it's so great to have you here. Some of you are watching at home. Thanks for welcoming us into your lives. Um, Today, we're beginning 
a Christmas season as we head into the holidays that is titled with the hook from that famous Christmas carol that we sang this morning that you know really familiar, right? Let every heart prepare him room. We sing that every Christmas season. And when we think about this, when we sing it every year, we often think about the busyness of the holiday season, which seems busier than any other season, and how we're going to kind of make room for Jesus, the reason for the season and the holidays. But for the very first Christmas, there were some people who this had real implications for what was it going to mean for them to make room for Jesus in their lives. There were some people who had had to ask the question, What was it going to look like to prepare room for a newborn king? And one of them was a woman pregnant with her very first child. And her name was not Mary, and his name was not Jesus. The woman I want to talk about today, her name was Elizabeth, and her baby's name was John. Now, Elizabeth and Mary were relatives. Some translations of the Bible, perhaps the one that that you have or you read, says that they are cousins. It's a little hard to explain. Back in the first century uh, Judaism, they just sort of called anybody related to them their cousin. That's just kind of what they did. They just called anybody cousin. So they probably weren't cousins. Some traditions say that, that Elizabeth was the maternal aunt of Mary. So she may have been the sister of Mary's mom. And that makes some sense because in the story we read in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, it's very clear that Mary, I mean, she's not even married yet. She is very young and in childbearing years. But Elizabeth is not. She is much older her John that she would give birth to would become John the Baptist, who was a prophet who would prepare the way of the Lord. That's kind of the, the famous saying, and we're going to see that in just a minute. What would it look like for Elizabeth and later her son to prepare room for Jesus in their lives? If you've got your Bibles or you want to open up your phone app or whatever, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1. And Luke or if you're there at home and you got that, open it up to Luke chapter 1. We're, be- we're going to begin on verse 5. Luke is the only gospel writer that details any of the, any of the, the, the history, the background to these pregnancy stories with Elizabeth and Mary. Now, Matthew, the gospel writer Matthew, kind of tells Joseph's story, but only Luke tells Elizabeth's story. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible and you're in the room, take one one of the hard copies uh, on the way out. We would love to give that to you. And this is the only account in the Gospel of Luke of Elizabeth's story. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So here's what we see in 
kind of their family tree and their marriage, they have a very priestly lineage, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. He is a priest. She is a descendant of Aaron, the, mo- the brother of Moses, who is kind of like the original priest. So this is a very priestly line. And listen to what it says, what Luke says about them in the next verse. And I, this is highlighted all because it's all important. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Both of them righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. There is so much in, in the, the ver- this verse and the one that follows it. They are righteous. They are blameless. Now, we already know the end of the story, all right? So maybe you, you've read that before. Maybe if you're new, you're, you know, this will be new. But, but we're reading this on the back side of history. We're reading this on the back of the story. We already know Elizabeth and Zechariah's story, that their obedience paved the way for God to do something in their lives. But they obeyed God long before he acted. They, they were righteous long before God did anything. Do we need, here's a question that I struggle with, I read this, do we need God to do something for us before we do the things he's already asked us to do? I mean, do we need God to do something before we actually follow his decrees and his laws blamelessly? You want to be used by God? You want to see God do something in your life? Start pursuing righteousness. Start obeying God. But the next line, the next line, it reveals this tension that you have probably seen and maybe have even experienced in your life. I mean, they have been blameless, nearly perfect. Like, have you ever described someone as blameless? And listen to what Luke writes about them. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And this tells the context that this had been a decades-long problem. And they were both very old. They had been righteous. They had been blameless. They had obeyed everything God had told them. And life had not gone the way they planned. Things had not worked out the way that they had hoped it would. They had never had a child which in their culture was a source of shame, disgrace, and a point of profound sadness. The reality is coupled with a line about their blamelessness. This this barrenness is coupled with righteousness. Their goodness is coupled with the badness. They had been good people to whom a bad thing had happened. Did it ever happen to you? 
And man, it's just such a reminder right in the middle of this passage before we go on. It's just such a reminder that this decades long of waiting tells us something. That you can do the right things and the wrong things still happen to you. You can do the wrong thing. They had been, I mean, blameless in the sight of God. Pursuing righteous in the sight of God. They were good people and bad things still happened to them. Now, if you and I were first century Jews reading this, to whom it was the first people that would have reading this, we would have immediately read the story of Elizabeth and we would have thought about a theme that goes through the whole Hebrew scriptures. It's a theme of the barren woman. I mean, this is, this is how God has moved through the centuries the nation of Israel was born through another old couple, Abraham and his wife Sarah, who were well along in years. She was in her 90s and they'd never had a child. And God says, I'm going to not just give you a child, I'm going to birth a nation through you. And God miraculously has Sarah get pregnant late in her life. Abraham and Sarah's grandson, Jacob, has a wife named Rachel who longed to have a child and mourned because of the shame that she couldn't have a child. And she's finally, finally pregnant and gives birth to Benjamin and Joseph and completes the 12 tribes of Israel. Hannah mourns because she can't have a child. It is to her disgrace, and she vows to God that she will give her child to him if he will only bless her. And she gives birth to Samuel, who becomes the last judge and the first prophet over Israel and the one who would anoint David as king over Israel. They are a part of the Jewish story of the Hebrew tradition, and every Jew would have read it and said, man, God came through for them would he come through for Elizabeth? You know, I want to just stop here just for a moment and just say that when we read this story and we think about this theme, this thread that goes through scriptures, I recognize that it's still a point of profound sadness. Our culture has changed over thousands of years, but I know that struggle to have a child is painful. We live in a broken world, and that means things break. Sometimes our dreams, and sometimes our hopes, and sometimes our plans. And so, before we go on with Elizabeth's story, could I just take a minute and just pray for you, for friends, for family who've struggled with infertility and cried prayers to God that haven't been answered, would you lift, us, lift those up now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we read this story, I'm reminded of so many friends and loved ones who've had the same struggle as Elizabeth and Zechariah. And my prayer, God, Lord, my prayer is that you would just comfort those who hurt that you would give grace and peace to those who mourn the loss of a dream, of a plan. And God, could I just be so bold to pray for young couples in our church who are trying to get pregnant and struggling. And God, 
I would just be so bold to pray for your spirit and for pregnancies to abound. I would just pray for you to do what only you can do in their lives. In the end, God, we trust you. We don't understand why bad things happen to good people, why we can do the right things and the wrong things happen to us. But we trust you. We trust your purposes. And God, as we look at Elizabeth and Zechariah's story later, we just, we just want to lean into their, their leadership in this, that our lives are about you. And we lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. So sometime later in the story, and Luke doesn't make clear, um, months, years, he is on duty as a priest, and he gets picked to go burn incense inside the temple. Now, this is not an everyday occurrence. It's probably a once or twice in a lifetime occurrence of while his whole time he serves as a priest, his entire life. So this does not happen a lot. This is a huge honor. He will get to go into the inner sanctum of the temple to burn incense. So he goes in there, and while he's in there, as is customary, everybody else is outside the temple praying. But what is not customary is what happens to him while he is in the inner sanctum. And that is, he comes into contact with an angel for the Lord, from the Lord who has a message for him. And this is what the angel says. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And I just want you to, it's been decades. It's been decades. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, who is also a great prophet of God in the Old Testament, to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous." to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Well, we all think that our babies are going to be great. How about being told by an angel, your baby's going to be great? And you're like, I knew it, <laughs> right? I knew it. I knew it. Your baby's going to be great. And the, the description that he gives is kind of this like, uh, I mean, on point description of what was called a Nazarene, all those details about his life, what he was supposed to be like. A Nazarene was a division of very devout followers of, of the Jewish Torah, the Jewish law. It's a perfect description. And he says, God's spirit's going to be on him before he's even born. And he has a very specific purpose, this baby. Did you hear it? Prepare. He's going to pave the road, but he's not going to drive the car. He's going to warm up the crowd, but he's not going to deliver the keynote. He's going to write the song, but he won't be the lead singer. He'll be great, Zechariah. <clears throat> but it's not about him or how great he is. 
what if? What if it's not about you? What if it's not about me? What if, what if my role is just to prepare? Well, Zechariah leaves the temple. He has this interaction with the angel where he ends up not being able to speak for a long amount of time, for nine months during the whole pregnancy. But he leaves the temple. He goes home, and this is what Luke writes happens. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She goes into hiding for as long as she can until, you know, listen, I mean, at five months, it just becomes physically obvious that she's pregnant. She's so grateful for what the Lord has done for her. She would come to learn that it wasn't just a gift from God, it was a gift for God. And about that time, Luke writes that her relative, Mary, becomes pregnant. We're going to look at that story next week. But right in the middle of these pregnancies, five, six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy and right in the first trimester of Mary's pregnancy, this is what Luke says. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, when she goes to visit her her relative Elizabeth, something supernatural, something, something powerful, something eternal and amazing happens. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The baby who, did, I mean, you remember John? He's filled with the baby, the Holy Spirit, before he's even born. The baby who is filled with the Holy Spirit recognizes that he is in the presence of the one in whose spirit lives in him. That's crazy. It's crazy. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit and something becomes completely clear to her. Her baby is special, but Mary's baby is more special. She's had to ask herself a question. What if? I've waited decades for this. But what if it's not about my baby? What if it's not about me? What if it's not about you? I can't even imagine what, uh, what it was like for Elizabeth. She'd waited her whole life for this. Finally, you're pregnant in your old age. It is everything you have ever wanted. The baby that you have prayed for would be a great prophet, but Mary's baby would be a great promise fulfilled. Her pregnancy and her baby was not the most important pregnancy and baby on planet Earth. It wasn't even the most important pregnancy and baby in her own family. The most important baby on planet Earth was the one in Mary's womb who would one day leave an empty tomb. She had to come to grips 
with this, this thing that she had wanted, this thing that she had prayed for, was not about her. But Elizabeth is not filled with jealousy or selfishness. She surrenders to a bigger picture. She, she realizes her role is to be a part of preparing the way for the Lord. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you were bare. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise to her. In a matter of months, Elizabeth has gone from blessed is me to blessed is she. In a matter of months, she has gone from thinking that she has had the most important pregnancy going on in the world to that someone else does. This means that her baby and her cannot be the star of the show. When we become less, she teaches us, we make room for Jesus to become more. When we become less, we make room for Jesus to become more. Preparing room for Jesus meant Elizabeth had to realize that it's not about her, and the same is true for us. To prepare room for Jesus will mean to realize that our life is not about us. My future is not about me. Your future is not about you. My career is not about me. Your career is not about you. Your money is not about you. My money is not about me. My family is not about me. Your family is not about you. Our lives are not about me. Our lives only find purpose when we link them to God's purpose, God's wisdom, God's way, God's glory. And the son that Elizabeth would bear got that. You know, he was great. <laughs> He's great. The Bible says that thousands of people showed up to listen to John preach. He was mesmerizing as a communicator. In fact, Mark, the gospel writer, said this about him, that the, the whole Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem came to listen to John preach. Do you think that was hyperbole? Everyone in the city? Thousands came to listen to John. He was a megachurch pastor before there were megachurch pastors. Jesus would even say this about John once. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said that John was the greatest man to ever live. And at the height of his popularity, when his crowds were the biggest, his cousin also started preaching on the banks of the Jordan River. And John looked at his crowd one day and he said, he must become greater. I must become less. Come here. I think I know who he learned that from. His mama. Because when we become less, we make room for Jesus to become more.
And here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. When we make it about Jesus, when we become less for him to become more, we leave our legacy in his hands. A couple uh, weeks ago, I found this old picture, 45 years old, Christmas 1978. That's me, the little guy with the guitar, on my pawpaw buddy and Murph, that's what we called her, Murnez's, uh, in their home with a bunch of my cousins. Of course, I was a pretty little fellow then and don't remember much about that. I remember Murr and Pawpaw much more like this. That's at my brother's wedding and the, really the last picture they had taken before my Pawpaw buddy passed. Buddy Carter, the son of John Jackson Carter. Buddy Carter, who married my grandmother, Inez Elizabeth Willingham. And I'll bet you've got some Johns and Elizabeths that are a part of your story. Because 2,000 years later, we're still naming little boys John and still naming little girls Elizabeth. Because it turns out when you hand your life over to Jesus' purposes and make him more, history has a way of remembering. What will it look like for you to prepare room for Jesus, to become greater in your life so you can become less? What will it look like for you to prepare the way, just like Elizabeth, just like John, for the one who would be called the way? Could you become less? Could I become less? And just trust God with your legacy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Elizabeth, this godly, blameless, righteous woman who had gone through so much and gave us an example of what it looks like to make herself less so that you might become more. God, our whole lives, our whole lives are about making the world revolve around me, around each of us. We stare at screens with algorithms designed to show us products that we want. Everything we do, our schedules, is all about us. But we echo the words of John and the character he learned from his mama. He must become greater. I must become less. 
Lord, if we find success, but our lives aren't about you, our lives are nothing. You are our everything. And we'll trust you. We'll trust you with our legacy. In Christ's name, amen. We are super excited.